Sasha reached for the iron gate, and when she pushed it open, it creaked on rusty hinges. I am hungry, and you are food. It is proper that I should eat you. We love story! It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. I'm Sam Payne, your host. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you. Bring these stories into your home and into your heart. Since 2013, we've been bringing you tall tales and personal tales and fairy tales and historical tales and more. And on today's episode of the apple seed, you know, there are so many great stories in which beloved characters find themselves in a pickle. Sometimes they put themselves there, and other times they're put there by villains or sorcerers or evil stepmothers. The fun part of these stories sometimes is just watching the characters get themselves out of these troublesome situations. And in today's stories, we're going to get to listen as our protagonists get themselves out of trouble by tricking and outsmarting the villains. We're going to hear from Tim Lowry, and we're going to hear from Bill Harley, a story called Fox's Sack from his collection of stories, Come On Out and Play. You're going to hear a classic tale called The Tiger, the Brahmin, and the Jackal from the musical storyteller Heather Forrest. This from her collection, World Tales of Wisdom and Wonder. And to introduce us to the first story that we're going to hear today, we want to welcome to the studio one of our assistant producers, Kendra Hanna. Kendra, it's great to have you with me. Great to be here. Tell me about this tale we're going to hear now. So this is a tale from Russia. It's about a young girl named Sasha who has a wicked stepmother, and she sends her into the forest alone to meet with her sister. So far, is it's like every fairy tale there is, right? Every fairy <laughs> Evil tale Evil stepmother out in the woods, et cetera, et cetera, right? <laughs> exactly. And she's going to come across the house of Baba Yaga. The house of Baba Yaga is a little bit unusual, isn't it? And we're going to find out how. If you're familiar with the story, don't give away the secrets of Baba Yaga. The teller that we're going to hear here is Tim Lowry, the great South Carolina storyteller, who has gathered together folk tales from all around the world. This is one of those. And again, it's called Baba Yaga, and we're happy to bring it to you here on the Appleseed. Spokoni nochi, spokoni nochi to you, good night. Spokoni nochi, that's what Papa sang to Sasha every night before she fell asleep. Spokoni nochi is as familiar to Russian children as Twinkle Twinkle Little Star is to us. Sasha's papa was a very kind man. He was a woodcutter. They lived in a little cottage on the edge of the dark forest in old Russia. Sasha's mama had died, and when papa remarried, the stepmother turned out to be a very hateful woman. Every night papa would sing Sasha to sleep, but in the morning, when he went away to cut trees in the forest, Sasha's stepmother was in charge, and then it was a different story. Sasha, you must wash the windows. Sasha, scrub these floors. Sasha, I want you to help with the laundry. But I helped with the laundry yesterday, and you're going to help again. Sasha never had a chance to play, not even for a minute. One day, the hateful stepmother said, Sasha, I'm going to make you a new dress. You'll have to fetch me a needle and some thread. Sasha thought it strange that this woman would want to make her anything, 
But she didn't question. She ran to the cupboard to get a needle and some thread. And then the woman said, no, 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 not that needle and thread. I'm going to send you into the dark forest to my sister's house for a special needle and thread. But Papa says we're not to go into the dark forest. There are wolves there. Ah, Papa Schmappa, he's not here. You'll do what I say. Well, if, if I'm going to go into the forest, it might be a long way. Perhaps I should take something to eat. Here, you can have this crust of bread. The woman gave Sasha a piece of bread that was covered in green mold. It wasn't fit to eat. If, if I had some butter, maybe that would make it taste better. Here, have this butter. The woman gave Sasha a little pot of butter that was rancid. Oh, it smelled terrible. If I, if I had some meat, perhaps I could make a sandwich. Here, and don't ask for anything else. The woman threw to Sasha a bone. It didn't even have any meat on it. But Sasha did not complain. She took these things and put them into the middle of her kerchief and then tied the kerchief up at the corners to make a lunch bag. And then she started off down the path into the dark forest. The trees had grown so thickly over the path that it created quite a bramble and it was hard to find your way. My goodness, said Sasha, these trees are so dark. They need a decoration. She reached behind herself and untied her long red hair ribbon and made a bow on one of the tree's branches, kind of like decorating a Christmas tree. And as soon as the tree had a bright decoration, it lifted its branches high into the air so that Sasha could see a clear path right into the heart of the dark forest. And when she came to the middle of the forest, she stood there looking at the strangest house she had ever seen. The house had a door right in the front, and windows on either side, and the windows were opening and closing and opening and closing, like two eyes blinking in the shadows of the dark forest. And the most curious thing about the house was that it stood up on big yellow chicken feet. Every time Sasha approached, the house would turn to one side or the other to keep her from finding the front door. Finally, Sasha yelled out, Stop! And the house stood right up on its big chicken toes. Sasha reached for the iron gate, and when she pushed it open, it creaked on rusty hinges. My goodness, said Sasha, this gate needs some oil. She didn't have any oil, but she did have some rancid butter. So she reached into her lunch bag and took out the little pot of butter, and she rubbed the butter on the hinges of the gate. Now when she opened the gate, it didn't screech at all. She walked into the yard and just about the time she was going to put her foot down on the front step, a big black dog ran out from under the porch and tried to bite her. <laughs> Sasha reached into her lunch bag and grabbed the bone. She threw it to the dog and ran inside and slammed the door. <gasps> Sitting there in a rocking chair in the middle of the room was the ugliest old woman Sasha had ever seen. When the woman turned quickly to see Sasha coming in at the door, her knobbly knees clanked together, making a hideous sound. And when she smiled, Sasha saw that her teeth were made of black iron. Come in! Come in! Uh, my name is Sasha, and I am to ask you for a needle and some thread. Oh, yes! <laughs> needle and thread! Needle and thread! <laughs> yes, go right into the next room. You'll find a tub full of warm, soapy water there. Take off all your clothes, get into the tub, and take a bath. 
but I'm not dirty. I've just been walking on the path in the forest. No, no, you don't understand. Needle and thread. That's a signal from my sister. When she sends a child for needle and thread, she's sending me my supper. I'm going to cook you in my best pot, and I don't want any dirt in it, so get in there and take a bath. <gasps> now Sasha knew exactly where she was. She was in the home of Bobby the wicked witch who lives in a house on chicken feet. And if she catches you, she will eat you. Sasha ran into the room and slammed the door behind her. Sure enough, there was a big tub full of warm, soapy water, but she wasn't about to get into the tub. Just then, a cat outside of the house jumped up into the window of the bath and then jumped down into the floor. The cat was so skinny, you could see its rib bones just beneath its fur. My goodness, said Sasha, this cat is starving. She reached into her kerchief and took out the crust of bread and gave it to the cat. The cat licked the bread, and then he blinked his big yellow eyes, and he said, Sasha, Sasha, you're in the home of Bobby Agar, she is a wicked witch. She will eat you. You must run. And the cat gave Sasha a silver mirror. Sasha climbed out the window. There was the big black dog laying in the yard, and the dog said, Oh, Sasha, Sasha, it is Bobby Agar. She will eat you. She is very, very bad. You must run, run, run. And the dog gave Sasha a hair comb. Sasha ran to the gate, and the iron gate swung open wide, and then the trees started to swish this way and that, pointing Sasha on the right path to run for home. Meanwhile, Bobby Agar was sitting in her rocking chair waiting for Sasha to take a bath. She called to the bathroom door and said, Are you still taking a bath? Now the cat wanted to help Sasha escape, so he splashed his paw around in the warm soapy water and called back, Yes! Hmm. Are you still taking a bath? Yes! Finally, Bobby Agar grew tired of waiting, and she ran to the door and flung it open. There was no girl in the bathtub, just a cat splashing his paw in the soapy water. Ah, why didn't you tell me Sasha was getting away? Because, said the cat, you never feed me, and Sasha gave me a crust of bread. She's my friend, and I wanted to help her. Ah! Bobby Agar flew through the window. There was the big black dog laying in the yard. Miserable mutt! Why didn't you bite Sasha and keep her here? Because, said the dog. You kick me and yell at me. Sasha is my friend. She gave me a bone, and I wanted to return the favor. <laughs> Bob Yaga flew to the gate. Worthless ironwork. Why didn't you screech and let me know Sasha was out of the yard? Because, said the gate in a smooth, oily voice, Sasha buttered my hinges. <laughs> Because of her great magic, Bob Yaga flew through the forest, and very quickly she was right behind Sasha. She reached out with her long, bony fingers to grab Sasha by the back of the neck, but Sasha took the silver mirror that the cat had given her and threw it into the air, and when the mirror struck the ground, out from that place spread a wide silver lake. Ugh. Bob Yaga could not cross that lake water without a boat. She ran home and grabbed her bathtub, ripped it right up out of the floor, dashed the water out, climbed inside, and whoosh, went straight across. Soon she was right behind Sasha again. She reached out with her long bony fingers to grab Sasha by the back of the neck, but this time Sasha threw the hair comb, and the hair comb struck the ground, and up from that place sprang many, many trees, growing as close together as teeth on a comb, and Bob Yaga was trapped as if she were in a jail. She tried to chew through the trees with her iron teeth, but she could not do it. 
She stumped home to her house on chicken feet, and Sasha ran for her cottage at the edge of the woods. When Sasha arrived at home, her papa was waiting for her. He had come home and heard what that stepmother had done, and he had chased that awful woman away. Now, if you're walking on the path in the dark forest in old Russia, and you come upon a house with a little candle burning in the window, and you hear a voice singing, Spokoni nochi, good night, good night, go right in there. That is Sasha's papa. He is a kind man. They are good people, and they will help you. But if you stumble upon a house that stands on big yellow chicken feet, run. It is the home of Baba Yaga. <laughs> Tim Lowry, the storyteller from South Carolina, with Baba Yaga, complete with an admonition to avoid houses on big yellow chicken feet. Don't know exactly how often you'll need to use that admonition, but there it is. You have it. And Tim Lowry there at the end of the story in his spookiest voice, right? Uh, the thing about uh, uh, enjoying a Tim Lowry story is you always know you're in pretty good hands. You're never allowed to get too scared, are you? Absolutely not. He's he's so good at that. <laughs> right. Yes. And I lo- I loved this story because I love the character Baba Yaga. I had my fo- my first exposure to her in the movie Bartok the Magnificent, which is about the bat from the other animated movie Anastasia. Right. Yes, Bartok's uh, individual adventure, right? After exactly. his after his sidekick <laughs> role in the animated film Anastasia. Yeah. Ba- uh, Baba Yaga, of course, uh, stories about Baba Yaga are are really can be pretty terrifying, can't they? I mean, that's the that's the stuff of of bedtime scares. But again, not too scary in the version uh, told for by Tim Lowry. And I love the way the story begins in which Tim Lowry gives you that beautiful little nighttime folk song and sort of teaches you sort of the, the cultural place that it occupies in its world by comparing it to Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, right? In Absolutely. A, in a world that may be a little closer to home and more familiar. And that's, you know, it's, it's, it's a window not only to a great story, but onto a, another world that you may be interested in learning about. That's, that's one of the nice things about a Tim Lowry story, isn't it? It really, really is. A pleasure to listen to that story, not only with you, but also with Kendra Hanna, one of our assistant producers. There's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. And if you're just joining us, a moment ago we heard Tim Lowry, the great South Carolina storyteller, tell the story of Baba Yaga, a Russian folk tale. A lot of people know that story. It's wonderful to hear in the mouth of such a great teller. And of course, I listened to that story not only with you, but with our assistant producer, Kendra Hanna. And there's a lot more coming up. We're going to hear from Heather Forrest, a story called The Tiger, The Brahma and the Jackal, a classic folk tale. You'll hear one called Fox's Sack from Bill Harley. And uh, up next, because we know that 
the sharing of memories can sometimes be the spark that ignites a story for you to tell to the people that you love around the kitchen table or the living room. Here's a memory of mine. It's a memory about, well, it's a memory about a flooded basement. And it's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal. The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it. On the Appleseed. I'm reading this terrific old book by C.S. Lewis. It's called Paralandra. It's part of a trilogy of space stories that C.S. Lewis wrote. This one's set on Venus. And the hero of the story, a linguist with the allegorical last name of Ransom, has to face all sorts of horrors in the book, most of them at the hands of the book's villain, a guy named Weston. And here's a quote from a particularly sticky scene. It surprised Ransom that he could experience so extreme a terror and yet be walking and thinking as men in war or sickness are surprised at how much can be borne. It will drive us mad. It will kill us outright, we say. And then it happens, and we find ourselves neither mad nor dead, still held to the task. It's a great passage for a time like this, filled with so many difficulties. Oddly, when I read that passage, I thought of my basement. Not the basement in the home I'm living in now, but imagine this. It's the first month of living in a new home some years ago. We're still pretty green, don't know the house well, and I decide to install a utility sink in the basement. And I think I've turned off all the right valves, and when I hack into the hot water line, I still think I'm right. The water spurts for a second or two, and then slows and stops, and I install the hardware, and with great confidence, I start to saw open the cold water line. Like a geyser, the water spurts out into the basement family room, and I'm trying not to worry. After all, the hot water line did the same thing for a second or two, but there goes 59 seconds, 87 seconds, and the water is still firing away. Now, it's taken till about midnight to get to this point, and that's an awkward time to realize that you need help from your neighbors. And my son is fetching me garbage cans and buckets and tubs and things in the basement are starting to swim. Water, water everywhere. A genuine, bona fide disaster. It's a tough decision to make, but I leave the bailing to my 10-year-old long enough to make a midnight call to my neighbor. And what do you know, my neighbor, Brent Fackerel, has the decency to come straight over at midnight, look me over, sopped to the absolute core from head to toe, and not laugh his head clean off. I mean, he hardly knows me. I'm brand new in the neighborhood, but he comes running. Straight-faced, he finds the right valves to turn, a process that involves digging in the actual dirt outside my house, out by the edge of the road, and brings over a handy pump, which we put to work through most of the rest of the night. It's a crazy night. And a couple of times I remember Perilandra by C.S. Lewis. This will drive me mad, I think. This will kill me outright. Doubtless Brent, finally in bed, thinks the same of living next door to his hapless new neighbor. But you know what? It doesn't kill me. It doesn't drive me mad. My son, as soon as he dares say it, admits that the night of the flood is one of the most exciting and fun evenings he can remember. There are a few days of carrying soaked cardboard boxes full of debris to the big plastic driveway trash cans, and there are days of big fans blowing across the floor, and there are days where certain carpets are torn up and pads removed. And there are rooms that are unlivable for a while, and through it all, 
We watch the cost of the disaster mount and mount, but then we watch as over some time it shrinks again. We watch as the fans are turned off, taken away. We watch as the carpets are rolled back out and restretched, and it takes a minute, but we get it taken care of. The house is back to being safe and sound, even new and improved before too long. My friends still made fun of me good-naturedly, and I probably deserved it. And the truth is, after the actual flood itself, a little ribbing comes nowhere near the this-will-kill-me-outright threshold. These days, whenever I'm facing some hardship that has me ready to throw in the towel, I think of that basement. I think about the place where the demon utility sink was. There's a row of sturdy cabinets below a modest stainless steel sink there, or at least there was last time I looked. I think about the carpet that once spurted water up between the fibers as you stepped on it. That carpet presumably is dry and clean now, and of course, if you ask me just which valve to turn to shut the water off to the house, I can tell you. I could tell the folks who live there now if they want to know. My basement taught me that the pain of even really painful things, the things more serious than basement floods, wanes with time. And even the things we face that most frighten us most often come and pass, leaving us neither mad nor dead, still held to the task. It works that way on Venus, and it works that way in my basement, too. Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining me for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. It was a tough day, the day of the flooding of that basement, but in the end, we lived right through it. You've got stuff in your own life experience that you've lived right through, though you wondered if you would. And those adventures make great stories to tell to the people that you love around the kitchen table or the living room. And, of course, that kind of storytelling makes for memories that last a lifetime. Coming up in just a moment, you're going to hear Bill Harley's story, Fox's Sack, a story from Bill's collection. Come on out and play. But first, how about a conversation with a friend? Great stories come into our lives in so many ways through the food that we share, the films that we see, the books that we love, the songs that we remember, and talking with friends about the ways that some of those things get down into our lives as stories is something that we love to do here on The Appleseed, and I'm very, very pleased to be joined by an old friend of the show, our friend Noah Baum, author of A Land Twice Promised and How the Birds Became Friends. You can find information about both of those books at noahbaum.com, and she's with me now. She's she's far away from me, actually. She's in her home, and I'm here in The Appleseed studio. But Noah, it's such a pleasure to have you join me. Oh, it's wonderful to be here again. <laughs> you know, as we talk uh, just before the microphones went hot here, I was reminded of the way that we take the stories that we learn and we sort of we overlay those stories onto places with which we're familiar, you know? And that uh, is what I've done all through my childhood. Because you see, place is so central to story, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when ever since I was a little girl, when I would hear the biblical stories, I grew up in, in Jerusalem and yeah. um, 
we study the, well, what we call the Bible, I think you call it the Old Testament, but those Old Testament stories yeah. are part of what you learn in school. And I, I don't know, it's just like kind of you learn it ever since you're little. And for me, you know, you hear the story about the Garden of Eden. Yeah. It's so abstract. So your mind places it in a place that's familiar. And for me, in my childhood, the Garden of Eden, the most beautiful garden in the world, the only garden that I knew was this <laughs> park, this garden right near my house in my neighborhood. It was called Gan Haislim, the Garden of the Twenty. Mm. And, it and Jerusalem is hilly. Yeah. So it goes by, um, it, it starts up uh, at the top of the hill and there's a monument for the, with 20 names hmm. of uh, uh, young men that fell in the 1948 war. Oh, sure. And then there's steps and there's there's dark cypresses on both sides. And that part of the garden is very dark. It's like this long, dark area, which I never liked. And I never went there where the monument is. But then there's steps that go to the street. And on the other side of the street, the garden continues. And it continues in like three rotundas. You know, like there's there's like a big round area that's full of rose bushes and trees mm. and there's paths on both sides and then there's steps and then it goes down and it, there's another one and then steps and it goes down and there's another one and then you get down to the bottom street so it's kind of like a garden that's in terraces yeah uh -huh. and then in the middle one which is really the biggest one at the very far end there's like places with benches and enormous carob trees mm -hmm. And that's where we would have our classroom hangouts. You know, this was this was the time sure. before parents were involved in their children's lives, and so <laughs> children after school and every Friday afternoon, from third grade up, this is what we would do: we just hang out together. But on the very very edge of this garden, on both sides, there was a stone ditch for the rainwater to hmm. drain. And on both sides of that ditch were tall, tall, dark cypress trees. And that's where Adam hid when God was looking for him after they ate from the fruit of knowledge. I bet you didn't know that, but that was the Garden of Eden. <laughs> just I just knew where it was. And yeah. the weird thing is that to this day, that, that those images are so ingrained in my psyche and in my mind. Yeah. To this day, the when you say the Garden of Eden, the first image that comes to my mind is Gan Haislim in Jerusalem. Wow, is that in the, garden in the early sixties? This is this is where the I can show I can tell you exactly where the tree of knowledge was, where the tree <laughs> of um what was the other tree the, the 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 tree of knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life, the tree of life. Yeah. I can tell you exactly where the tree of life is and where the tree of knowledge is. I can tell you exactly where the snake came from. I can tell you exactly where Eve gave Adam the apple. And I can tell you where they ran to hide from God. It's and this right is there all, in the ditch, right there in is, the ditch. And this is all just a few feet from where you and your friends would hang out after school, right? Yep. <laughs> Isn't that marvelous? You know, we take the stories that we know and we give them a place that is familiar to us, you know? I think that's a marvelous thing as you as you think about those important stories 
that the pictures that are conjured up in your mind are pictures of places that you know and places that you love. Mm -hmm. I think that's a remarkable thing. I think it's also something that we really do naturally. Yeah. And when I lead workshops and I ask people to, you know, imagine a story, not necessarily a personal story, but when people work on traditional stories, I always tell them, you know, place it in a place that yeah. is familiar to you. Yeah. Because those images are alive for you. Right. So our imagination does that naturally. We, we go to places that are ingrained in us and that we yeah. know and that we love from, from, from yeah. our own. I've always our felt, own private library in our mind. That's mind. right. Yeah, I, I've always felt like great stories take us to somewhere new, somewhere that we've never been before, and also allow us to see something of the familiar there. Mm -hmm. And I think it's such a remarkable, such a delightful manifestation of that idea that when you heard the Bible stories as a kid, you would you would set them in places that you knew and loved. Uh, places can be such, uh, such, uh, so evocative, right? In mm -hmm. terms of how stories get down into us and live. What a pleasure to talk about the Garden of Eden with, with <laughs> Noah Baum. She knows right where it is. <laughs> a, a great pleasure to have her with us. And of course, you can visit her website, noahbaum.com, to find uh, a lot of her work, including her wonderful book, A Land Twice Promised, and the upcoming picture book, children's book, How the Birds Became Friends. Noah Baum, what a pleasure to have had you with me. Thank you so much, Sam. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways, and it's great to talk with our old friend Noah Baum. We'll be sure to have her back. And uh, in just a little bit, you're going to hear a story from Heather Forrest, the wonderful musical storyteller. She's going to tell the story of the tiger, the Brahmin, and the jackal. And uh, you're going to hear from Bill Harley with a story called Fox's Sack from his collection, Come On Out and Play. That's coming up here on The Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you here on The Appleseed, bringing these stories into your home and into your heart. If you're just joining us, a moment ago we enjoyed a story from Noah Baum, a conversation about where she was sure the location of the Garden of Eden surely was. And uh, before that, a story about a flooded basement, our entry today in the Radio Family Journal. At the top of the hour, you heard a story called Baba Yaga, a classic Russian folk story uh, told to you by Tim Lowry, the wonderful South Carolina story teller. And up next, we've got a story from Bill Harley, known for the way he's able to integrate song into his storytelling. And in this story, we'll follow a very sneaky, very hungry singing fox as he begins to trick the local people into giving him a larger and larger snack. And when his tricks go too far, how will the tables turn against old fox? Find out in Fox's Sack from Bill Harley, here on The Appleseed. Nobody knows but me, nobody knows but me, nobody knows what's in my sack, nobody knows but me. Once upon a time there was a fox, and this fox was very hungry, he hadn't eaten for a long time, he had a sack but there was nothing in it. 
Oh, he said, if only I had something in this sack, something to eat. And just then, a bee buzzed by. He grabbed the bee, put it in the sack. He said, this is not enough to eat. But soon, what's in my sack will make a very nice snack. He put the sack over his shoulder and he walked down the road. And as he walked down the road, he made up this little song. Nobody knows but me. Nobody knows but me. Nobody knows what's in my sack. Nobody knows but me. And he walked down the road until he came to a house. He walked up to the front door and he knocked on the door. And the door opened and there was a very small woman. She said, <laughs> Hello, Fox. She was afraid of Fox. He said, hello, I'm going to the house of my friend, Squintum. I'd like you to keep this sack until I come back. She said, you're right. He said, very well, but whatever you do, don't look in the sack. She said, what's in it? He said, don't look in it. She said, all right, all right. She said she wouldn't. She took the sack. She put it down by the door. Fox turned around and walked off. And as he walked off, he sang just loud enough for that woman to hear. Nobody knows but me. Nobody knows but me. Nobody knows what's in my sack. Nobody knows but me. And that very small woman heard that song. She looked at Fox walking off down the road, getting farther and farther away, and she looked down at the sack by the door. She looked at the fox again. She looked at the sack, and then she said, I wonder what's in that sack. I wonder what's in that sack. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder what's in that sack. She saw Fox a long way off. She said to herself, he'll never know. He's so far away. And she tiptoed over to the sack. And she opened it up. Out through the bee. She said, oh my goodness. She tried to get it, but it went out the window. She ran into the yard with the sack, but her hen was in the yard, saw that bee. Swallowed the bee. Oh, no, she said. She went, put the sack back, and went about her business. And in a little while, Fox came back. Oh, no, she said. It's Fox. She opened the door. She said, hi, Fox. There's your sack. Fox went over, picked up the sack. But then he did what she hoped he wouldn't do. He looked in it. He said, I had a bee in here, and it's gone. Did you look in this sack? She said, I told you not to. She said, I, I, I. I know, but I heard you sing that song, and I got kind of curious, and I looked down, and when I looked in the sack, the bee flew out, and I tried to get it back, but my hen was in the yard, and, 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 and it swallowed it. Oh, said Fox, so your hen swallowed my bee, then I'll just take your hen. Grab the hen, put it in the sack. That little woman said, but, but, but that's not fair, and Fox said, What's fair is fair. What's not is not. What's in my sack goes in my pot. And he walked out the door, down the road, until he came to the second house on the street, walked up to the door. The door opened, and there was a big, tall woman. Hi, Fox. She was afraid of Fox, too. He said, hello. I'm going to the house of my friend. Squintum, I'd like you to keep this sack until I come back. She said, sh sh whatever you say. Very well, he said, whatever you do, though, don't look in the sack. She said, 
what's in it? He said, don't look in it. She said, all right, all right, don't, don't be so touchy. She took the sack, she put it down by the door, and Fox turned around and walked off. And as he walked off, he sang just loud enough for that tall woman to hear. Nobody knows but me, nobody knows but me, nobody knows what's in my sack, nobody knows but me. And that tall woman heard that song. She saw a fox walking off farther and farther away. She looked down at the sack, she looked back up, at the fox and she looked at the sack again and she said I wonder what's in that sack I wonder what's in that sack I wonder I wonder I wonder I wonder I wonder what's in that sack he'll never know he's so far away and she tiptoed over to the sack she opened it up out jumped the hen. Oh my gosh, she said it went right through her leg. She ran out in the yard to get it, but her pig was in the yard. And that pig, she said, chicken, right down the road away. She said, oh my goodness. She put the sack by the door, and in a little while, Fox came back. Oh no, she went and opened up the door. She said, hi, Fox, there's your sack. Fox walked over, picked up the sack, looked inside and said, Oh my goodness, I had a hen in here and it's gone. What happened to it? Did you look in the sack? She said, uh, I, I did. I told you not to. She said, I know, but I heard you sing that song and I got a little curious and I wanted to take a little peek inside and I looked and, oh well, the hen jumped out and I tried to get it back, but my pig was in the yard and my pig does not like hens and it chased it away. Oh. So your pig chased my hen away, then I'll just take your pig. Grab the pig by the hind legs, Wee! put it in the sack. The woman said, that's not fair. And Fox said, what's fair is fair, what's not is not. What's in my sack goes in my pot. Put the sack over his shoulder, walked out the door, down the road, until he came to the third house on the street. A very skinny woman opened the door, she said, he said, hello, I'm going to the house of my friend, Squintum. I'd like you to keep this sack until I come back. That skinny woman said, Shh, you're, 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 you're right. He said, very well, but whatever you do, don't look in the sack. She said, what's in it? Don't look in it. All right, I won't. She took the sack. She put it down by the fireplace. Fox turned around, walked off down the road, and you know what he sang. He sang, Nobody knows but me, nobody knows but me, nobody knows what's in my sack, nobody knows but me. And that very skinny woman heard that song, and she looked down at the sack, and she saw a fox walking off down the road, and she said, I'm not going to look in there. I don't know what's there, but I'm not going to look. And she went back in the kitchen. She didn't look. No, she didn't. But in a little while, her little boy came back inside. He'd been playing outside. He walked into the living room, and there by the fireplace, he saw a large sack. He said, hey, Mom, what's in the sack? And from the kitchen, she called back, don't look in it. He said, Who's it for? She said, just don't look. He said, ooh, <laughs> maybe it's for me. He looked at the sack. His mother was in the kitchen. He said, I wonder what's in that sack. I wonder what's in that sack. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. I wonder what's in that sack. 
She'll never know. She's so slow. And that boy tiptoed over to the sack. He opened it up. Whee! Out jumped the pig. He said, a pig. He grabbed a stick. He chased it out the door, down the road. And in a little while, Fox came back. That skinny woman said, oh, it's that fox. I don't like him. She went over. She opened up the door. She said, there's your sack. He walked over to pick it up, but it was empty. He said, look, this sack is empty. There was a pig in here. Did you look in this sack? She said, no, 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 I didn't. I told you not to, and someone did. Who did? She said, well, it wasn't me. I didn't look. And I... Oh. She turned and looked. She saw her boy standing there by the door. She said, did you look in this sack? He said, yeah, I told you not to. He said, I know. I thought maybe it was for me. There was a pig in it. I know you don't want a pig in the house, so I chased it out the door and down the road. And Fox said, oh, so your boy chased my pig away. I'll just take your boy. The woman said, that's not fair. He said, what's fair is fair. What's not is not. What's in my sack goes in my pot. Grab the boy. Ah! put him in the sack, walked out the door down the road until he came to the last house on the street, walked up to the door, and a big stout woman opened up the door. She looked down at Fox. She said, Fox, what are you doing in my neighborhood? Fox said, hello, I'm going to the house of my friend, Squintum. I'd like you to keep this sack until I come back. She looked at Fox. She said, I'll keep it, but I won't keep it for long. He said, very well, but whatever you do, don't look in the sack. She said, it's not my sack. It's not my business. She took the sack. She put it down by the fireplace. She started to walk back into the kitchen. And as she walked by the door, she heard Fox sing as he walked off. Nobody knows but me. Nobody knows but me. Nobody knows what's in my sack. Nobody knows but me. That big stout woman shook her head and went back into the kitchen where she was making cookies with her two daughters. They were making gingerbread cookies. They made the batter in a big yellow bowl. They rolled the batter in these little sticky balls. They put it on a cookie tray, which they had oiled. They turned the oven on. They opened up the oven door. They put the tray of cookies in the oven. They closed the oven door, and they sat down at the kitchen table to wait for the cookies because it doesn't take long for cookies to bake. And in a little while, the smell of the gingerbread filled up the kitchen, filled up the living room, filled up the whole house. One of her daughters couldn't wait any longer. She said, Mom, I want a cookie. And the second daughter said, Me too. And from out in the living room, all three of them heard someone say, Me too. The big stout woman said, Who said that? And the first girl said, I did. And the second girl said, I did. And the living room said, and that stout woman said, what's going on here? She walked into the living room by the fireplace. She saw that sack. She said, what's in Fox's sack? She walked over. She opened up the sack, and there was the little boy. Hi. She said, what are you doing here? He said, I don't know. She said, Fox is up to no good, and we're going to play a trick on him. She looked at the little boy. She said, you run into my bedroom over there, and you hide under the bed. Great, said the little boy. He loved to hide under the bed. And then that stout woman walked over to the door. She opened up the door and she said, Buster, hey, Buster, come here. Buster, that was her watchdog. Buster came in the door. <laughs> she said, hi, Buster, come here. I have a little job for you. She led Buster over to the sack. She said, Buster, could you climb in the sack for just a minute? Buster said, <laughs> she put Buster in the sack. Buster is just about the size of a small boy, if you know what I mean. Buster climbed in the sack. She tied it up. She left it by the fireplace. Looked just like a small boy in a sack. But it wasn't. 
And in a little while, knock on the door. The big stout woman said, door's open, come on in. Fox opened up the door, saw the sack, saw that it was still full, went and picked it up, heard something say, but he didn't think anything about it. He thanked that stout woman and walked out the door down the road singing to himself, nobody knows but me, nobody knows but me, nobody knows what's in my sack, nobody knows but me, down the road thinking about what he was going to have to eat when he got home. Hungrier and hungrier until he didn't think he could wait any longer. He said, I'm gonna eat him right now. Put the sack down, open it up, stuck his paw in, Oh, that nasty little boy biting me. And he looked in the sack, and there was not a little boy at all. There was a big watchdog. The fox said, what are you doing in my sack? But Buster didn't answer. He just jumped out at the fox. Fox turned around on his tail and headed off into the woods with the dog right behind him. Deeper and deeper into the woods until the fox got to his den. He jumped in the den, and just as he did, Buster reached out and woof, bit him right on the rear end. The fox was in his den safe. Buster knew he was not going to get the fox, so he turned around and he ran all the way back home. Came in the back door. There was a little doggy door there. No one had to open it for him. And there in the kitchen, the cookies were ready to eat. That stout woman saw Buster came in. She said, it's time to eat. She gave one cookie to one of her daughters, one to another. She called the boy out from underneath the bed, gave one to him. She had one herself, and she gave two to Buster, the watchdog. Of course, there was none at all for Fox, who sat at home with a sore tail, singing to himself. Everybody knew but me, everybody knew but me, everybody knew what was in my sack. Everybody knew but me. Fox's Sack, a story told for you by Bill Harley, the wonderful musician and storyteller. Nobody knows how to channel the energy of kidhood quite like Bill Harley does, and it's always a pleasure to play one of Bill's stories on the show. Before that, of course, a conversation with Noah Baum about the location of the Garden of Eden, as far as she was concerned, and of course, an entry in the Radio Family Journal about a flooded basement. And we're going to wrap up today with a story from Heather Forrest, the musical storyteller who has been telling classic tales for decades and decades on stage and on recordings, guitar in hand. She lays down the guitar to tell this story, a classic old tale called The Brahmin, the Tiger, and the Jackal. And it features a couple of tricky animals. One of them is a very hungry, very dishonest tiger. And the other is a tricky jackal. Will the Brahmin be able to avoid being eaten? Well, that's the main question in this tale. The tiger, the Brahmin, and the jackal, told for you by Heather Forrest. And we're happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. One hot day in ancient India, a poor Brahmin kicked up dust as he walked along the road with his begging bowl in his hand. He heard a roar and a rattling coming from around the bend. A fierce tiger paced and growled inside of a bamboo cage, 
the huge beast anxiously pawed the bars and shook the hinges. The Brahmin was a kind man who could not bear to see suffering. As he approached the cage, the tiger pleaded, Set me free! If I stay in this cage, I am doomed! The Brahmin timidly replied, Just promise that you will not eat me once I set you free. Of course I will not eat you. I would be grateful for your goodness and mercy. The Brahmin opened the bamboo cage, and the tiger sprang out to freedom. The huge cat whirled around and whipped his tail side to side. I am hungry, he snarled. I was in that trap for a long time. I will eat you. Wait, cried the trembling man. It is not fair for you to eat me after I have saved your life. Fair? It is my nature. I am hungry, and you are food. It is proper that I should eat you. It is never proper to repay kindness with cruelty. Uh, you are only thinking of yourself, said the hungry tiger. Yet I will show you how reasonable I can be. I will not eat you if three things agree that it is unfair. Very well, said the Brahmin. I will go and ask the next three things I meet about this matter. I promise to return shortly with their opinions. Come back quickly, warned the tiger. I'm hungry. The Brahmin turned and walked down the road. The first thing he came upon was a tree. Oh, tree, he said, do you think it is fair to repay kindness with cruelty? The tree rustled its leaves and replied, I give shade, I give fruit. When I am old or if I become rotten, uh, people will cut me down. They will chop me up for firewood. <laughs> you are a fool to expect kindness in return for your kindness. Thank you for your opinion, said the Brahmin, who continued down the road. The next thing he met was a buffalo yoked to the wheel of a well. Slowly, the animal struggled to turn the wheel. Pardon me, old buffalo, said the Brahmin. I need your opinion about a matter that is quite important to me. Do you think it is fair to repay kindness with cruelty? The buffalo strained at her load. She slowly replied, When I was young, I generously gave people abundant rich milk. Ah, they fed me the finest cotton seed and oil cake, but now I am old and dry. My food is garbage. I am forced to work until I drop with exhaustion each night. Ah, this is how my kindness has been rewarded. Ah, do not ask me if it is fair. It is the way things are, <sighs> unfortunately. Thank you for your opinion, said the Brahmin who continued down the road. Oh, I am doomed, he thought as he went along. He looked down and asked the road for its opinion. The road replied, I lead people anywhere they wish to go. How is my goodness rewarded? I am trampled and rutted until I am a miserable mess. 
That is the way things are. I see, said the Brahmin, who started back down the road toward the hungry tiger. An old jackal, sitting in the sun beside the road, noticed the Brahmin walking by and said, oh, Good day, dear sir. <laughs> you look so sad to me. I pity your miserable mood. What could the matter be? I am unhappy, moaned the Brahmin, because I am doomed to death as a reward for my kindness. I freed a tiger from a cage, and now he plans to eat me. I am traveling to him now so that I can be his meal. The jackal cocked his head one way and then the other. Oh, you must take me to this cage. Oh, I cannot picture what you say. How could the tiger eat you in this most ungrateful way? Come with me, said the Brahmin. I will show you exactly how it happened. The jackal and the Brahmin arrived at the bend in the road where the tiger stretched and scratched himself lazily in the sun. When the tiger saw the Brahmin approaching, he leaped to his feet and said, It's about time. You have made me wait, and I am hungry. Let us begin the meal immediately. Before the meal begins, said the Brahmin, give me a moment to explain this event to my friend, uh, the jackal. Oh, yes, 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 please wait said the jackal. I am confused about what happened. It has been explained to me, uh, but I do not understand. Can you try to help me see? See what? roared the tiger, impatiently drooling over the trembling Brahmin. The jackal replied, Well, how did it come to pass that you are going to eat this man? Explain it to me simply. I'll try to understand. The tiger roared. He simply set me free from this trap, and now I am going to eat him. That is all. Now, let's get on with the meal. The jackal shook his head and muttered. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I have it now, I have it now. This man was in the trap, and you set him free. <laughs> huh. Pardon my confusion, but it makes no sense to me. No, fool! shouted the tiger. I was in the trap, and he set me free. Now I am going to eat him. The jackal thought out loud. You and the man were in the trap. Ah, he was seated on your lap. No, roared the tiger. I was in the trap when the man walked by. The jackal's eyes brightened. He clapped his paws and jumped about, shouting, Yes, 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 it's as clear as the sky. <laughs> You were in the man when the trap walked by. No, roared the tiger. I was in the trap, the jackal shouted. You were in the trap. Oh, you were in the trap. Oh, this makes my head spin. You were in the trap. But how did you get in? I will show you. The tiger jumped into the trap, but before he could leap out, the jackal shut the cage door and locked it. The Brahmin watched with wide-eyed amazement. Let me out, demanded the tiger. But the jackal grinned and said, I finally understand today where, tiger, you deserve to stay. Without another thought, dear sir, uh, let us leave things as they were. With that, the jackal and the Brahmin left the roaring tiger behind and continued down the hot 
dusty road. Adventure on a hot, dusty road with storyteller Heather Forrest and the tiger, the Brahman, and the jackal. It's been such a pleasure for me to bring these stories to you today. Stories including Fox's Sack by Bill Harley and Baba Yaga from Tim Lowry. A pleasure to talk also about that flooded basement in today's entry in the Radio Family Journal. You can join us online for all kinds of things. Join us at byuradio.org slash Appleseed for not only these full hour-long episodes of the show filled with stories for you and your family, but also mini episodes of the show. We call them Appleseed Extras, just a single story, a few minutes long, in case you only have a few minutes and you want to fill them with a great story. If you go there today, you will find a story called Henrietta and Fritz from Glenda Bonin from her collection of stories, Winston the Wide Mouth Frog. You'll enjoy that tale there among our Appleseed Extras. Of course, you can subscribe to the podcast for something new just about every day. I'm Sam Payne. Our producer is Jeff Simpson. Can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.